The weird thing for me is that I don't actually like listen to a lot of uh, like crime podcasts. Really? Really at all. Hey, I that's list- exciting. So like I don't even know – like the only one I've really listened to is probably yours with Gabby. Yeah. Like that's the one I know best. Um, and – I watch a lot of, like, documentaries. Like, I'm interested in it. When I was growing up, me and my parents used to love, like, Dateline and 48 Hours. Like, the good old-fashioned just, like, murder mystery. Right, right. And so we watched a lot of that, but I've never really heard people talking about it. Yeah, so this is new for you. It's, like, a whole new world. (laughs) I'm excited. Welcome to our world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Gabby has probably told you, but, like, I grew up, like, obsessed with crime. Like, even from Mm -hmm. a little, like, a young age. When I was in, like, seventh grade, Mm -hmm. I got in trouble by my teacher because they said, you guys can write a research paper on anything you want. And I was 12, and I picked Ted Bundy. And she calls my dad, and she's like, I'm really worried about her. And my dad's like, she just is fucking interested in, like, cool shit. What the fuck? So, yeah. So ever since I was a little girl, like, really, really interested in this. So I love pulling on people that haven't really been interested Mm -hmm. in it because I feel like you get to learn a lot of new shit you know no that's right and I feel like I don't even know like where to begin with talking about it but uh I feel like with my case a lot of the stuff uh we're on by the way oh perfect okay uh a lot of my stuff is like pretty gruesome and the interesting thing about my case to not like spoil too much but um the eventual suspect that was taken into custody explained in detail what he did yeah so you have a lot of a lot of like just colorful language from him on what he did. Yeah. And very in depth. Not holding back any details. Not yeah. back any details. Uh and so it's super I mean, super creepy and we'll talk all about that. Yeah. Um well, perfect. Well, guys, if you are listening, welcome back to Suspect, our true crime podcast. This week, Hannah is not with us again as she's out of town. So Gabby's boyfriend, actually, Brandon, has stepped in to record with us today. And we are very grateful to have him here. So, Brandon, welcome. Thank, Thank you, for, you being for having here. me. I'm so excited. Yeah, of course. And if you guys didn't know, Brandon is actually a fellow podcaster of his own. I am. Yeah. So a at, collab. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. So at any point that you want to plug that during this, feel free to go ahead. And do yeah, that. at the Porchcast podcast on Instagram. Um, we're the Porchcast. I do it with my best friend since first grade. So we just shoot the shit. And honestly, a lot is politics right now. We're trying to stay away from politics and coronavirus because, I mean, it's just exhausting. Right. So, but what else is there going on for that's you to right. talk about, right? <laughs> True crime is what I would say. Right. There you go. We're so, going to switch it up this week. <laughs> okay. So I have a reason for asking this question. It's going to seem completely random. But uh, what is your favorite appetizer? My favorite appetizer? Um, mm, good question. I'm going to have to go fried pickles. Ooh, that's a Ooh, really good answer. So good. From so, the South. <laughs> <laughs> so I hate a pickle, unfortunately. Fried is probably the only way that I'll eat a pickle. Yeah. Um, I love chips and salsa. I don't even know if that counts. No, that definitely counts. Chips and salsa is my favorite favorite appetizer. But I say all that because I brought an appetizer case. (gasps) I brought like another case that it's not like enough to really go in depth about. Yeah. But it's just like a little taster on something crazy. Okay, definitely feel free to go. So it's called the the Setagaya Family Murders. Oh, I haven't heard of it. It was in, um, I think it was in Japan. Yeah, it was in Japan, and basically. Uh, it was this guy, I'm going to butcher the name, so I'm not even going to say that. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> but a 44 year old dad, his 41 year old wife and their eight and six year old kids. Um, the, I think it's hard to tell if they're boys or girls. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, and the two kids, all four were murdered. Oh no. But the crazy thing about this murder is that, uh, the murderer who has yet to be caught, this is in, 
2000. The murderer who has yet to be caught uh, just stuck around, cleaned up, oh my hung out, uh, I think used the internet a little bit, <gasps> um, like went on the internet for a little bit, uh, made tea and ice cream, um, used the toilet, treated his injuries using oh, their first aid pit, kits, and uh, suspected to even have taken a nap. <laughs> In their uh, house? In like, their house. Where he killed them. Uh, where he killed this them. This fucking freak. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's my appetizer. Can you believe that? What does no. that take? Like that, I, you know what's crazy though is like, I haven't heard about that specific mm-hmm. case, but I've heard about other cases where like perpetrators have like done that. Like they've either like hung out in the house or they've like hung out like afterwards or they hung out like beforehand mm-hmm. and like have been like in the walls, like stealing food, like some <sighs> weird shit. There's so many cases like that where people have lived in the walls. I'm not shitting you. It's so creepy. Like that's terrifying. it's so, that's like my worst fear. Like just hearing something in the wall and being like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely. Thanks for the appetizer. Of course, <laughs> that's definitely a nice little segment. <laughs> so, uh, so my case is actually one that you almost did, and I one did. that's been a long time coming, apparently. Yeah, what's funny, guys, is actually yesterday, um, Hannah and I don't usually do this. We don't usually talk about mm-hmm. what cases we're doing beforehand. We just kind of wing it. So yesterday, I just thought to text Gabby and ask her what case Brandon was doing, just to kind of make sure. (laughs) And Gabby texts me back and tells me that the case Brandon is doing today is actually literally a web page I had up on my computer ready to take (laughs) notes. So I had to switch cases at like 10 o'clock last night. (laughs) Uh, So I picked uh, BTK, Uh, Dennis Dennis Rader, I believe is how you pronounce his last name, BTK. Um, and I didn't know what this was at first, um, but BTK stands for Bind, Torture, Kill. Um, that is a moniker that he gave himself. Which is so crazy, right? Like, okay, first of all, you sick motherfucker. Yeah. You're already doing this, but now you're going to name yourself? Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, <laughs> and, he, and he named himself quite literally. Um, and um, he, I think, was charged with killing 10 people. And that's about, you know, there's been, like, some controversy regarding how many people he killed. But for the most part, I think it's, like, agreed upon that he's killed 10 people and Mm -hmm. he got charged with all of them. Um, The first being a family um, and then several individuals, um, mostly women, um, Mm. that he was obsessed with. Fucking stalker. So uh, that's, like, high level what he did and what he was. So... I don't know. Should I just go into it? Yeah, just hop right in wherever you want. Okay. So <laughs> I'm going to go through um, sort of chronologically okay. um, through the murders that he both was um, you know, committed and was charged with eventually. And then at the end, I'll talk about his sentencing statement, which is pretty well known for just being like a rambling statement. Um, and it's very, very strange. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. So um, the first is the Otero murders. That was the uh, family of four that he killed and where he started. That's why I started with that appetizer. Um, the Otero murders are very similar. He didn't spend quite as much time in the house afterwards, but he did hang out around Ugh. a little bit. Um, and so the Oteros were four folks, uh, Joseph, 38, Julie, 33, uh, Joseph, 9, and Josephine, 11. Um, and... Basically, their son Charlie gets home. Um, their son Charlie was like 15 or 16. He was in 10th grade. Um, and uh, he got home to find them all dead in various fashions. Um, and so basically the timeline is like this. Dennis, BTK, gets to the house, and he waits until Joseph, the son, goes out to take the dog out. 
and when joseph takes the dog out he like that's when how he gets back in when mm. he's like coming back inside um and he just i mean he comes in he intimidates the whole family and he ties everybody up mm. um so they were like telling him like we have money and um well, first, let me tell you from his words, this is, um, this is BTK. This is Dennis Rader talking about it. I had just uh, done some thinking on what I was going to do to either Mrs. Otero or Josephine. Uh, and basically, I broke into the house, or didn't break into the house, but when they came out of the house, I came in and confronted the family, and we went from there. Uh, I con- confronted the family, pulled a pistol to Mr. Otero, and asked him to, you know, that I was there basically. I wanted, I wanted to get the car. I was hungry, food, I was wanted, and I asked to lie in the living room. And at that time, I realized that wouldn't be a good idea. So I finally, the dog was a real plot problem, so I asked Mrs. Otero uh, if she could get the dog out. Um, so he had one of the kids put it out, uh, and then I took him back to the bedroom. And so I'm I'm sorry. Yeah. The dog was the problem. The dog no, was the problem. Buddy, I think you're the fucking problem, BTK. Yeah, this dog is causing like a lot of distress in yeah. the house and everybody's freaking out because You're the, the dog. problem. <laughs> fucking yeah. Dennis. Yeah. Out here. BTK's uh, I mean I hope he doesn't get to do anything uh in terms of binding, torturing or killing. But, right. Uh, unfortunately we know what happened. So, um basically uh I mean he he tied him up in various fashions and uh his plan for killing them um, was to put a bag over their head mm. um, while they were tied up so that they couldn't really do anything. And, I mean, trigger warning, some of this stuff's graphic and, like, it's scary stuff, but it's mostly, uh, it's most, mostly strangulation is mostly what we're going to be getting at. Um, and so, you know, he put a bag over Mr. Otero, over Joseph, mm. um, and the bag, like, had a hole in it. And so, um, you know, uh, the, the, the judge said, did he abruptly die when you put the bag over his head? And Raider said, yes, I mean, I didn't just stay there and watch him. I was moving around the place. So he's, like, moving around, doing different stuff. I mean, basically what Raider loved to do is he loved to go back and forth to the different victims. Like, put them out, like, oh, they're probably going to die. Like, I can move on to the next one. Yeah. And then they would, like, not die. That's, like, pretty much exactly what happened with the Otero. What a fucking sicko. Um, So, uh, you know, uh, strangled a – strangled – this is exactly what he says. It's crazy. <laughs> First of all, Mr. Otero was uh, strangled, a bag over his head, and strangled, and I thought he was going down. Then I went over and strangled Mrs. Otero, and I thought she was down. Then I strangled Josephine, thought she was down, and then went over to Junior and put the bag on his head. So this is what I'm saying. Like He, he went in depth on all of this stuff. And when you hear him talk, uh, it's remorseless. Yeah, it's like no emotion at all. No Ugh, emotion at all. He's psychopath. not like some of these psychopaths that seem like um, – you know, they're really articulate and genuine. Like, I think that um, you just mentioned him when you, the guy you did in seventh grade. Oh, Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy, obviously, is well known for being um, like a, a good looking guy that mm-hmm. had suave. You know what I mean? Dennis was not that. Yeah, way. yeah. Dennis Complete opposite. Freak. Yeah, total, total freak. freak. <laughs> um, so, um, anyways, uh, this, is the, this is the worst part. Oh, no. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. So, I mean, I think that, like, everybody's pretty much dead at this point. Um, and uh, so, yeah, Joseph and Joseph uh, Jr. are dead. Uh, and he went back, and Josephine had just woken up. Mm. What did you do then? I took her to the basement and eventually hung her. You hung her in the basement. Yes, sir. Oh, my gosh. Did you do anything else at that time? Yes, he did. Oh, no. Uh, what he do? <laughs> he did... He did the inconceivable, and then hunger. Mm. Uh, went through the house, cleaned everything up, went room from room, 
uh, took a radio. He said, I had forgotten about that, but apparently I took a radio. <laughs> uh, you know, the judge said, why did you take these things? And he said, I don't know. I just, I have no idea. I just did. Oh, my uh, fucking God. Got to, the key, got to the keys to the car and, and left. Um, so that was the first set of murders. Isn't that insane? No. I mean, you just slaughtered a whole family, like walked in and slaughtered a whole fucking family and then took a little radio as a prize. I know. I feel like I feel I feel nervous. Like I feel scared just talking out out loud about. Yeah, I feel like like my blood pressure just skyrocketed (laughs) the whole time you were talking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I mean, that was the first killings. The second one um, was Catherine and Kevin Bright. Um, And Catherine and Kevin Bright were, I I believe, married. Uh, same thing, tied them up. Um, and in this case, he brought two handguns. And so, um, you know, he got there. Um, he got there, tied him up, um, you know, and then um, Kevin got out. And, like, you know, they, they had a tussle and, um, you know, and eventually he got him back in. I mean, he was tussling with both of them the whole time. And then. Uh, at some point, like, Kevin was kind of running away, and he shot him in the back of the head. Kevin mm. was still, like, somehow good. Oh, my God. Fucking Kevin. Kevin gets tied up again, but he was alive. Um, gets strangled again by BTK. Uh, fights with Catherine again. Goes back to fight Kevin. Kevin takes the gun. I mean, this is literally, like, a ho- like, like, like Scream. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's like a literally movie. The way it played out, the way that Dennis Rader himself talked about it playing out was, like, a movie. Like, they kept like Kevin and Catherine would keep getting like out and like you would think they were going to get away and then they wouldn't, you know, they would like somehow, uh, you know, keep them, but not kill them. Um, and finally, uh, Kevin shoots at, at BTK, BTK like beats him up and eventually Kevin gets out. Oh my goodness. So he like and never dies. He escaped. <gasps> yeah, Kevin, Kevin escapes. This is like almost like, okay. So being murdered, is obviously like a fucking scary ass mm-hmm. thought, but it's even more terrifying to have a murderer in your house. And he's like purposely keeping you with the fuck alive. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, that I have anxiety right now. <laughs> I, know, I know because you just have to like live through it. Yeah. Like you just have to live through it, especially because I mean the person like your wife is also involved and you have to watch, you have to witness that too the whole time. Yeah. Oh, just torture. Fucking psycho. I know. I need to take a sip of coffee to make myself more angry. Right, right. No, I told you. Let me take a sip of this alcohol to lower my blood pressure. Yeah. Um, fortunately, uh, I, I uh, made sure that I had most of the graphic details uh, on the earlier murders, and now we're through the, the roughest part. Uh, there's one more quote that's the, probably the darkest yet, but once we get through that. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> then the trigger warning is over. Yeah, yeah the trigger warning is over. Um, and then we'll actually get into some of the er- uh, errors he made. He made some pretty considerable errors that led to um, his eventual, obviously, capture. And- no, I never would have guessed that. <laughs> A serial killer? Yeah, errors? And, uh, mm. and this is probably pretty common. Tell me if I'm wrong, but his uh, his mistakes and errors that he made for capture were because he got pompous and arrogant and was like, you know what? And he just started to flex on people. And Yeah, I mean, that's a common trend because here's the thing with, like, especially serial killers is – you know, they start doing it. They're on all their P's and Q's because yeah. they're just starting. But the more they do it, the more comfortable they get the and the more relaxed they get. they get. And that's why we see in so many cases where they, like, left DNA after they've already killed 12 people in the 13th, they left a fucking sock. And it's, like, sloppy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and that's why, I mean, I hate to talk about serial killers, in, like, and in, like, a, anything that would be admirable, admirable mm-hmm. but I think there is definitely, like, 
some kind of recognition for the people that have been able to kill so many people. hundred Because it's hard to kill a lot of people. Like somebody like Ted Bundy to be able to go uncaptured for so long, that's why he's like, I don't know, the best at it, the worst at it, whatever right. you want to say. Um, so I think there is certain, there's like a capacity for how many people you can kill before you get caught because you usually leave right. a shred. I agree completely. So uh, after uh, Catherine Kevin Bright, uh, he moved on to Shirley Vion. Um, and so basically how he did this is uh, he didn't even really know her very well, um, but he had these things called projects. They were sexual fantasies. And so in this case, he like saw a little boy walking around in the neighborhood um, and he like just showed her some pictures, just kind of like wanted to get an idea of the neighborhood. Um, and, uh, he watched where the little boy went. He made sure that he went to a different house, but there was nobody home. So he went back to the house where the little boy was. Mm. Uh, and I believe that's where, um, the boy was. And I'm going to read this quote in full. <laughs> Deep breaths. <laughs> I told Mrs. Vian that I had a problem with sexual fantasies, and I was going to tie her up, and may that I might have to tie the kids up as well. And, and if, she would, could, if she could cooperate with me, uh, no, I'm sorry, if she could cooperate with us, uh, cooperate with me at the time, mm. we went back. Uh, she was extremely nervous. I think she even smoked a cigarette. And we went back to one of the back areas of the porch, explained that I had done this before, and I think she, at that point in that time, I think she was sick because she had her night robe on. I think if I remember right, she had been sick. I think she came out of the bedroom when I went in the house. So anyway, we went back to her bedroom, and I proceeded to tie the kids up, and they started crying and got real upset. So I said, oh, this is not going to work. So we moved to the bathroom. She helped me, and then I tied the door shut. We put toys and blankets and odds and ends in there for the kids to make them as comfortable as we could. We tied, the, we tied one of the bathroom doors shut so they couldn't open it, and we shoved we, – she went back to uh, help me shove a bed against the other bathroom door. And then I proceeded to tie her up. She got sick and threw up. I got her a glass of water, comforted her a little bit, and then I went ahead and tied her up and put a bag over her head and strangled her. <sighs> I mean, okay, so we already know he's sick, but I just feel like you're a different kind of sick when you bring kids into the mix. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? These fucking innocent little babies that, like, don't know anything about shit like this. Yep. Like, now they're involved, and now it's like, you fucked up, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> like you fucked up, motherfucker. I'll kill I someone. <laughs> I mean, because that's what, like, what we were just talking about with Catherine and Kevin Bright, like having to like witness your loved ones going yeah. through something like that. You're little kids. Like to be able to even wrap your head around the fact that there's a like I don't even really know if you can understand what's going on. Like it's a stranger. Um, yeah. Like it's just uh, so inconceivable for a kid to like be advanced like like for a kid that young to like recognize that kind of darkness yeah you would just know like as a fucking little kid like this is a bad guy mm -hmm. i don't know anything outside of that like i don't know what to do how to react like how to move like oh i love kids so I like know. that really breaks my heart <laughs> fortunately um i think josephine was the only kid that was a um a victim of yeah btk uh so then he killed uh nancy fox um, and then he intended to kill Anna Williams. Uh, he was obsessed with her. I, I might be uh, misremembering her name because I have terrible handwriting. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he, he, was, uh, he just was obsessed with her, and he was absolutely livid, quote, uh, when she evaded him. Mm. Um, he said, wasted hours. He was, he was there for like five hours waiting for her to come home, and she never did. Uh, Mar uh, Marine Hedge uh, brought her dead body to his church and photographed her with bondage. Mm. Uh, he was like the chief of some church. Um, he was like a main guy at some church. Of course he was. Um, yeah, I know. Project Cookie, he called that. 
We fucking love the church people. They're just amazing in every way. They (laughs) never end up being the suspect. Yeah, they're never pedophiles or fucking murderers ever. We love Jesus. Horrible. Um, So then the Fager family killers, or the Fager family was killed, um, three of them, and somebody wrote a letter uh, as BTK saying he didn't kill them, but that the kill did admirable work. Mm. Um, and it's actually believed that he wrote that letter and that he did not kill them, but that somebody like tried to um, mimic his killing, like uh, copycat. Damn. Mm-hmm. And but he wrote the letter to say like, "Hey, I didn't do this." Mm-hmm. Fuck. <laughs> and the cops literally just don't think that he um, did it. The scary thing too is, I think you hear a lot. There was one of the killers. I hate to bring up like real life. Well, this is real life stuff, but like really bad stuff. But I think that like one like. Parkland is really really sad but mm-hmm. I think that he like had had a record and had like calls and stuff yeah BTK had, had two women uh, file restraining orders against him and that's always the case I mean you hear about it with a lot of serial killers they've either raped somebody mm-hmm. and been convicted for it already or in a lot of cases back in the early like 70s or 80s they've actually been convicted for murdering someone but have been released within 10 years it's so horrible. yeah that's horrible um, so Dolores E. Davis I believe was his last um his last murder um i might be missing a couple but i'm pretty sure that was his last murder in 1991 um not like a particularly uh there's nothing to comment on the killing it sounded a lot like the previous ones Mm -hmm. he strangled her um he binded tortured and killed and that's what he did um and uh and that was it for btk for 13 years Mm. and the case eventually was cold but we talked about pompousness we talked about arrogance he got pompous. He got arrogant. And in 2004, he wrote letters again mm. under the moniker uh, Bill Thomas Killman, BTK. <laughs> so same initials. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Fucking weirdo. Um, so what he did, though, in those letters is he made a big mistake. This is mistake number one. Let's hear it. He's conf- uh, he talked about all his murders. He always did that. But he talked about one particular murder of Vicki Wergerly, um, where he gave um, – you know, he, he gave the outline of what happened, like he did with every murder, except mm-hmm. for the cops didn't know that he killed her. And they had actually collected DNA there. Oh, so it was a cold case with DNA. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. It was a cold case with DNA, and he confirmed that he killed her. So that gave them their first shred of evidence. They found DNA, um, and uh, there was actually a photo in there that said, the sexual thrill is my bill. <sighs> Fucking, I just gagged. <laughs> I know. Um, so October 2004, he plans another another murder um it comes and goes um and so um that happened um and and he didn't kill anybody and then finally he asked in one of his letters if it was safe if he would be able to um write stuff on a floppy disk and send the floppy disk in and the cops sent uh put a full page out in the newspaper saying it's safe to like a letter to him saying it's safe trying to like drag him in yeah and he fucking did it oh my fucking god (laughs) you fell for it you fell for it and they found even in 2004 they found metadata that was um, like the church, the name of the church, under the name Dennis. Ugh. They found his house. They found the car, which they knew they had seen footage of at leaving one of the sites. Um, and so they had strong evidence to charge him, but they still wanted more. So they ended up, I didn't even know they could do this, but they got a pap smear from his daughter. 
What? I, I didn't know they could do that. I didn't know they could do that either. But For like DNA evidence? Mm-hmm. And they compared it to the DNA evidence from the Vicky Wergerly case and it said familiar tie. Do you know how old his daughter was at the time? Like, did she it say? She was in college. Oh, so maybe because she wasn't a minor, they just like subpoenaed that, you know? like Maybe. They, something like that. That's crazy. I've never heard of anybody doing I didn't know that. I know. I have no idea. And I don't know if, uh, I know that her uh, his daughter has since like come out and, um, you know, it was like, I just saw the headline of the article while I was doing my research and it was something like, uh. BTK's daughter comes forward and like just talks about how she wants to be different than her last name. Like she wants to yeah. like, do good for the world. She's a good person. Wow. Um, so it could be that even at the time, Dennis was a bad guy. And she willingly was like, yeah, if my dad did it, lock him fuck up. Exactly. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> um, and so, and that was it. He was a, uh, they, they were driving behind him one day and they pulled him over and they said, Mr. Raider, do you, uh, do you know why you're going downtown? And Mr. Raider required, uh, oh, I have suspicions. Why? Oh, my God. <laughs> you fucking creep. Like, uh, I hate, like, the serial killers that you hear about. Like, even Ted Bundy was like this. Like, when they first arrested him and he was speaking about the murders, he didn't talk about them in first person. He talked about them in third person. So mm-hmm. all the video you see of Ted Bundy talking, he's like, well, you know, if I was a killer, this is what I think he would do. And it's like, you slick motherfucker. Like, you are so gross. I like, know. Ugh. That's crazy. Um, so he said he was driven to kill by factor X, uh, which he claimed, uh, or he characterized her as a supernatural element that also motivated Jack the Ripper, Ripper, uh, son of Sam and Hillside Strangler. I don't know son of Sam or Hillside Strangler. Those are all crazy stories. You should definitely check them out. Yeah. 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 They're all really, they're all fucked up. Like, (laughs) um, and so, uh, eventually he gets a, uh, psych evaluation, um, and he says, you know, basically, um, the psyche vow was this guy, Man- Mendoza, who's actually an important character in all this. I don't even go into all that, but he is an important character. Mm-hmm. Um, but narcissistic, antisocial, obsessive compulsive uh, personality disorders. Narcissistic. Never would have guessed yeah, that. Exactly. Never. <laughs> uh, in fact, I, I want to read, this is my final quote. Um, I want to read, well, other than the quotes from Be- Dennis himself. Um, but in the final quote, um, this is the psyche vow. He observed that Raider had a grandiose sense of self, a belief that he is special and therefore entitled to special treatment, a pathological need for attention and admiration, a preoccupation with maintaining right order and structure, and a complete lack of empathy for his victims. Mm. I mean, that's, that's, I couldn't have put it better myself. No, I mean, psychopath. I mean, that's the best way. Complete Mm -hmm. lack of empathy. Psycho fucking path. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Dennis eventually did a sentencing statement. Um, it's 26 minutes long. I watched the whole thing. Um, it's pretty creepy. Um, and I would recommend watching it just because if you want, I mean, if you want to just hear a guy talk about case by case, everything, Mm -hmm. um, he does it a little bit. He gets into it. He doesn't get into it, into the detail we talked about. That's in other, I think that's the whole hearing. Yeah. Um, but anyways, um, it was dull. It was rambling. Um, it was like an Oscar acceptance speech. That's mm. what everybody says, and I agree. It was like somebody uh, accepting an Oscar, and we'll get into that part of it. But he starts off by saying uh, to the uh, prosecutors that PowerPoint presentation was very powerful, almost mockingly. Like oh, just- my God. <laughs> wow, that was very powerful. Shut up, asshole. That's what I would have said. <laughs> Shut up, asshole. Um, he said, uh, you know, um, in terms of people calling me dishonest, uh, th- that's true. Uh, the people trusted me that I was going to tie them up, take their money, and leave. And then I killed them. And I don't know why I chose them. Ugh. Um, 
Because you're a sick fuck. Yep. About uh, Catherine Bright, this is when it started getting weird, but he would like, he would be like, Catherine liked to run. I liked to run. Catherine had a niece that she loved to hang out with. I have a niece that I loved. It was, and he did that with every single victim. He would like talk about things they had in common and like relate. It was Katie. I'm not even oh kidding. Oh my <laughs> God. So that's why you killed them because you yes. both have nieces that you love. You know what? That's fucking justified. You prick. Like what oh the God. fuck? That, ugh. Uh, Moraine Hedge, uh, he goes, um, you know, he was talking about the last person. He was, uh, it was uh, Nancy Fox. He was like, she was such a great person. Just a, um, just a, a really thoughtful person. And uh, Marine Hedge, she was my neighbor. Okay, yeah. I have to watch this. I've never seen that. Like, that's yeah. crazy. Like, she was my neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck um, you. Oh, this one's going to rip your heart out. Oh, no, I'm about Katie, to cry probably. About <laughs> Josephine, the little girl from oh. the first ones. He said uh, she would have been like my daughter at the time. She would have been the same age as my daughter, uh, just playing with Barbies. You sick fuck. So you just decided that you were going to kill her. Like, ugh. I know. Like, that's how you know you're a true psychopath. I mean, obviously he is by everything, mm -hmm. details we've talked about. But, like, you have a daughter that's around the same age, and you can look at this little girl in the face and still do these awful, awful things to her that's and not part. feel anything about it. And like, probably a wife or a girl. I mean, somebody to have the baby with. Yeah, like, ugh, that breaks my heart. I know. It's horrible. Poor little girl. Poor little girl. I mean, he had a complete lack of, like, respect for women, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know. He When he was talking during the sentencing statement, it was just really weird. It's just really strange. Um, like, the way he talks, it's very dull. He does, like, some fake crying where he, like, has to stop a little bit and, like, wipe his eyes. Um, but he's, I mean, he's clearly, he's talking about his guilt at the same time. Like, he's crying about it. So it's just, like... I don't know. There's this disconnect between yeah. the way he's talking. Like very withdrawn almost. It's so, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. And, and like what, like to recognize the fact that he's literally committing to uh, 10 murders right now. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, admitting to them. Um, he mentions Mendoza. Um, the long and short of it, I didn't really understand, but uh, Mendoza ended up getting sued. Oh, the really? The psych evaluation guy. Um, for some reason, and ended up having to pay thirty thousand dollars. And um, Dennis wow. was like, "I like Mendoza, and that wasn't fair. What happened to him?" And that's one of my complaints about this. The law, he says, and I quote: "The law enforcement agency has done a very good job in this case." Dennis the, said that. Dennis said that. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're admitting that they yeah. fucking did. He's like, "Yo, they caught me." <laughs> you know what? They did a fucking stellar job. Props yeah. to law enforcement. No, that's Shut what he said up. at the very very beginning of his sentencing hearing. He said, "When I got here and I found out what they had on me, I knew there was no way I was getting out." Oh of this. my fucking god, that <laughs> is so iconic. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's iconic. <laughs> yeah, like, and um, I, I don't know if he's um, bipolar or. Um, you know, dual personalities, but he talks about how the the serial killer side of him was compartmentalized. He mm. uses that word. He said that that use was, word was used by his psych eval guy, mm -hmm. that he compartmentalized yeah. um, that side of him. And he was able to, he, was, he, he said himself that he was able to do a very good job of switching back and forth very quickly between the compartmentalized self and, like, his normal self. See, the problem for me is, like, when we're talking about, like, mental illness mm -hmm. or anything like that, like, I have anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. So I get the mental illness. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of friends that have that problem. But when you're still aware, like, you are 100% aware mm -hmm. of what you're doing to the point where later you can recall details. 
you weren't out of your mind. You know what I'm saying? Like no, you knew 100%. exactly what the fuck you were doing. Like, yeah. and I will say his psychologist or the Mendoza did not mention bipolar or split personalities. And that's what I'm, that's exactly my point. That's why I don't think it is that, but that's what this word compartmentalizing, which isn't an excuse. Obviously. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and he was psych about and didn't get, I mean, he didn't get, he's in jail. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, but I, so I don't know exactly what you would call that compartmentalizing of it, but he was able to disconnect from it at least. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I mean, just psychopath behavior. Psychopath. Like, Mm. So uh, so then he gets to sort of the end portion, probably the last 10 minutes of the 26-minute speech, where he goes through like an Academy Awards speech, and he essentially thanks everybody who got him there. And what I mean by that is he says, uh, you know, thanks to, uh, thanks to the staff, uh, the hairdresser, the wardrobe guy, uh, the doctors that have been evaluating me while I'm here. Um, he respects and thanks uh, the law enforcement, and he names all these like detectives and police officers by name. Oh and my! Thanks them for their work on the case. God, bro. Um, he appreciates uh, the family, friends. Um, they will, uh, you know, keep him from going. That have kept him from going completely to the compartmentalized dark side that he calls himself. You've already been there, motherfucker. You've shed blood. Fuck you. Shut up. Oh my god! He like ends, he ends this twenty-six minute. Just disaster piece uh, by apologizing to the victims. What's crazy is, like, you said that it was, like, an Oscar speech and just the fact that – or an Emmy speech Mm -hmm. or whatever you said, but, Mm -hmm. like, the fact that he's thanking everyone. Like, you sick motherfucker. It was wild to see. What the fuck? (laughs) Like, I've never heard that. That is so crazy. No, it was uh, was really, really, really wild to see. And so um, that's it. Uh, In media – there's a novella, uh, A Good Marriage, by Stephen King. Um, Stephen King. That uh, Stephen King has said was based off of this. Uh, there was an episode of Criminal Minds based off of this. And uh, BTK, actually, I didn't know this, uh, is um, you know somewhat represented in Mindhunter for, throughout the first and second season. I don't know exactly how, but um, there is some representation of him in the show. I think I remember that from Mindhunter, but I didn't know that there was an episode of Criminal Minds on mm-hmm. him. So I'll have I to think find it's like that. season I don't know, five episode one. I'll look it up. I'll tell I you. fucking love criminal minds. <laughs> that is so crazy. It's, um, I think I was telling you this before. I don't know if we were recording or not, but I've known about BTK because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm a little crime junkie. Yeah. <laughs> so I've listened to like multiple podcasts mm-hmm. on him, but I haven't heard some of the details that you said. So especially like the speech and shit. Like, the that's speech is crazy. Crazy. And like, I didn't even get to watch it. I want to watch it, but there's a, there's also like a, there's another 46 minute speech or something. Um, not, spe- I hate to call it a speech, but right, that's what it right. seems. Like, like his announcement, whatever. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Where it's like him really admitting guilt. So I don't know exactly what that is. I meant to watch it before we got uh, on the air, but I, I just didn't get to it. But Wow, that's crazy. You guys should definitely go check out that speech that Brandon was talking about. I know I am. That I know. That is fucking uh, wild. And the last thing is that uh, the son, Charlie, I think was his name. Uh, yeah, yeah. The Otero son. He did a documentary called I Survived BTK. Wow. Um, so so I, that's also out there. Is it like a just the I Survived TV show? No, no, no. It's, oh, it's like just it's about BTK. Oh, okay, yeah, it's okay. just about BTK. It's just about, about him because because uh, he was the one who caught him. And I think it's, I think it, it's like you know I think it's gonna be kind of stupid. It's like Charlie like learns to move on. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie steps on. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, wow, good job. Thank you. Good job. That was your first crime case. How do you feel? I feel good. Good, I good. feel good. That was fun yeah. to talk about. I mean, I was honestly kind of nervous about some of the graphic details yeah. and bringing the gore in, but. Uh, 
It's fun. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's sad. It's not fun. But everybody listening to this knows what we mean. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it's and he's behind bars. Yeah, right. Yeah, thank God he's still locked up. Um, thank you to the law enforcement. Mm-hmm. I know BTK has already thanked you. But <laughs> <laughs> here I am thanking you again. We can't thank you enough. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wow, that's a really crazy case. Mm-hmm. And, like, the fact that he got away with it for so long and then just kind of willingly, like, fucking gave himself I up. Know. Like, that's kind of hilarious. Like, <laughs> fucking idiot. Wow. Well, good job, guys. Definitely go check into that BTK stuff, um, that video that Brandon was talking about if you're interested. I know that I definitely will after we finish recording today. So this week, I kind of wanted to do like a little spooky case. So I looked up a bunch of true crime spooky things, and a lot of the movies actually are based off of real serial killers, Mm -hmm. which I guess I kind of should have figured, but I didn't. Yeah. (laughs) So I went back and forth between two cases. I have notes for both of them. Um, One of them I told you guys yesterday was the Scream movie, Mm -hmm. the guy that that was based off of, Danny Rowling. Um, But then I decided late last night that I was going to do the Candyman. And this just sounds so good. It sounds so creepy, right? The fucking Candyman, you fucking weirdo. (laughs) So the Candyman actually is a movie that I'm sure a lot of you have seen that was released in 1992. I personally have not seen it, so I don't know how similar it is to the actual case. Um, So I definitely want to watch it. But this case is so crazy. And like, I just can't even like, once I started digging into this, I couldn't even believe like the information that I was found. So we'll go ahead and get right into it today. Um, The information that I'm going to be citing from, I found a really great Vice article called The True Story of the Notorious Trick-or-Treater Murderer, and that's by Michael Segalov. I probably didn't say that right. Um, And then, of course, shout out to fucking Wikipedia. Shout (laughs) out to Wikipedia. The OG forever. (laughs) And Murderpedia is also a really Mm. great website. I don't know if you've heard about that, but it's like Wikipedia, but for murder. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I think that we all know that there's kind of been like this myth going around, um, ever since we were born and even before that about poisoned Halloween candy. Mm -hmm. So it's always been like pretty much a big thing in society to check your kid's candy, you know, make sure there's no razor blades or fucking poison or what the fuck ever in there. So that is where the case is about today. Mm-mm. So we'll go ahead and hop right into it. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the myth of the poison candy, and then I'll tell you why that fear really struck up in our society. So poison candy myths are urban legends about malevolent strangers hiding poisons or sharp objects such as razor blades, needles, or broken glass and candy, and then distributing the candy to random kids on Halloween, of course. Um, so these stories serve as modern cautionary tales to children and parents and repeat two themes that are common in urban legends, danger to children and contamination of food. Mm -hmm. Commonly, the story appears in the media when a young child dies suddenly after Halloween. So that's something that we really see them stress in the media every Halloween, really. So... The prevalence and persistence of these myths during the 1960s and 1970s, this was a time of social upheaval and racial integration and improved status for women reflected, um, sorry, I just fucked that up. I just lost my, see, this is what happens when you drink. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So basically what it does is it makes society question like who's trustworthy. They Mm -hmm. don't know who they can fucking trust. And so while no cases of strangers killing or permanently injuring children this way have been proven, I'm going to tell you about why this fear strikes up in the first place. Okay. So I'm going to take you to Halloween in 1974. 
So the children of Deer Park, Texas, were out knocking on doors. It's Halloween. They're all got their little costumes on. They're all trick-or-treating. And Ronald O'Brien was out, too, with his kids. He had an 8-year-old Timothy and a 5-year-old named Elizabeth at the time. And they're out trick-or-treating with their neighbor, um, whose name was John Bates. Jim Bates, I'm sorry. Fuck. <laughs> and he had a younger son at the time. So this family's out with their neighbor. They're all trick-or-treating. They're having a good time. And Ronald at the time lives with his wife, um, Denai, in Deer Park, Deer Park, Texas, with their two children, like I mentioned. So Ronald at the time actually works as an optician at Texas State Optical in Sharpstown, Houston. He was the deacon at the Second Baptist Church, where he also sings in the choir, and he's in charge of the local bus program. And I don't know, but for me, like, every time I hear about somebody working in a church, I'm like, some evil shit's about to 100%. go down. 100%. Like, you sick motherfucker. <laughs> you know <what> <laughs> we'll hear it again. Right. Um, let me scroll down here. Okay, so one of the houses that the group approaches has all of the lights out. Like, nobody really looks home, and, like, you wouldn't really think to walk up to the house, I feel like. But the kids do anyway. You know, they're super excited. They're trick-or-treating. The more candy, the better. Right. They're like, <laughs> let me just get, like, three extra pieces if I have to. That's huge. Right. That's fucking huge. So they go up to this house. All the lights are out. They're kind of standing there trying to knock on the door, trying to wait for someone to come out. No one comes out. So the kids are like, well, fuck this. Like, yeah, we're going to go to the next house and get some more candy. So the kids um, – Ronald's two kids and Jim's son all take off to the next house and Jim follows behind the kids and Ronald kind of stands back for a mm -hmm. sec, maybe trying to see if anyone's going to come out of the house. So the kids take off, like I said, and a short while later, Ronald catches up to the group and he produces a handful of pixie sticks and he says, oh, look, like they were actually home. They just, you know, didn't come to the door right away. So he has five pixie sticks. He gives all of the kids one. And then there's a little boy walking home from church that he recognizes. So he gives, you know, the little boy a pixie stick. Here you go. I know who you are. Um, so before bed, all the kids are allowed to, you know, eat one piece of candy from their big night. And Ronald's son, Timothy, opens up the pixie stick. And the powdered sugar was kind of stuck in there, which, you know, with pixie sticks is kind of a common thing. Like, you kind of have to, like, break it up a little bit to get it Do you like a pixie stick? I don't, no, actually. Neither. I think it's too much sugar. I know. That's kind of why I'm like, I'm like, I'm like hearing this. And I'm like, well, I know I would have been fine. Right, <laughs> right. I would have been straight. Thing. And you know what? Like, after researching this a little bit, I actually found in some other articles, but I just didn't include in my notes, that Ronald was kind of pressuring Timothy to go towards the pixie stick. He's kind of like, mm. eat the pixie stick. You little mm. shit. Like, stuff yeah. like that. So, um, yeah, I just think it's like a mouthful of sugar. Like, I would have fucking picked, like, sweet tarts or something, mm -hmm. you know? I do like a fun dip, though. Right, yeah. Fun <laughs> dip. Fuck it up fun. You get to pick how much sugar you That's put right. on those, right? Yeah. Um, so, Timothy picks the pixie stick, and the powdered sugar, like I was saying, was kind of stuck. Like, mm -hmm. it was not really coming out. So, Ronald helps Timothy get it out, and he consumes it. Um, so... Timothy immediately says that the candy tastes bitter. And if you've ever had a pixie stick, mm -mm, like it's not bitter, complete opposite. Like it's almost like a sugar overload, yeah. you know? So yeah. <laughs> so Timothy complains that the pixie stick is bitter and Ronald gets him a glass of Kool-Aid to kind of help get the matter, uh, the bitter taste out of his mouth. So immediately after Timothy consumes the pixie stick, he complains that his stomach is hurting and he begins to violently like throw up in the bathroom. And Ronald later says that the whole time Timothy was doing this, he was basically holding him in the bathroom and cradling him while he was throwing up until his body just went limp in the bathroom. 
So less than an hour after Timothy had consumed the candle or candle. What the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> that's bad, Timothy. Um, less than an hour. Well, that's why. He right. You fucking Timothy. You can't eat wax. Like, uh. So less than an hour after he consumes the pixie stick, um, he's en route to the hospital and he mm. dies immediately. Mm. So sad. So obviously. Tim- and Ronald um, is distraught. Um, it doesn't say. Okay. Yeah. But we would imagine that he's... Right. We would assume that if your child just died, you would be pretty One distraught. should be. Right. So, obviously, Timothy's death from the poisoned Halloween candy prompted a lot of fear in the community. They were all freaking out. Like, their kids went trick-or-treating. They didn't know, like, at this point, like, what candy did that. They all had a shitload of candy. Everybody's freaking out. So, numerous parents in Deer Park and the surrounding areas actually returned their children, um return their children's candy i'm sorry yeah <laughs> <laughs> they jimmy, they jimmy kimmel them <laughs> i'm supposed to wear glasses and then when you drink and your fucking vision's yeah. going like this it doesn't work <laughs> um so yeah so the parents return the candy because they're pretty much like fuck this we're not risking this this candy is not worth it you know they return all the candy to the police officers so at the time harris county prosecutor mike hinton he gets a call about what happened and he's immediately on the case and he wants to get his investigation started pretty quickly. So Hinton calls um, the coroner, Dr. Joseph A. Jackanix. I'm probably not saying that right. Um, and he was the chief medical examiner of the nearby Harris County. So Hinton says, and I quote, I told him the situation and he asked what the young man's breath smelled like. A call to the morgue revealed that there was a scent of almonds coming from the boy's mouth. It's cyanide, says Dr. Jackanix. Mm. So Timothy's autopsy report reveals that the pixie stick he consumed was laced with a fatal dose of potassium cyanide. Mm. Did you know that about almonds and and, uh, cyanide? I did actually, but I think I only knew that because I heard that on an episode of Forensic Files. Mm. (laughs) So I was like, that's fucking weird, right? Cyanide smells like almonds? Yeah, it's like one of those weird things. Like, I don't remember this. I hope you remember it. But like, don't they say when you're having a heart attack, it smells like toast? That smells like Yeah, I think so. Yeah, like just weird medical shit that you would never fucking know. Like. Um, so police officers managed to recover the remaining sweets from the other children before any of them like have the chance to consume them, like thankfully. And they noted that whoever was responsible had used staples to steal the pixie stick after tampering with them. So they basically rip it open, dump the cyanide in, and then fold it back over and staple it. Mm-hmm. And my question is, how did you not notice that there was a staple? I know that's why I was going to ask who opened the pixie stick. Yeah, like did did the uh, Timothy. Um, Ronald was helping him. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. If mm-hmm. Ronald was helping him. <laughs> yeah, Ronald was helping. Because remember, he had to help him break it up a little exactly. bit, too. You're right. So four of the five pixie sticks. I'm skeptical of Ronald. Ronald, you don't say. trust him? Well, because, <laughs> yeah. because here's why I'm skeptical. I think it was one of the words you used. But at the beginning, you said he, uh, you didn't say that he got uh, pixie sticks. You said he, uh, what is the word you used? Um collected or something mm-hmm. you said something to the effect of like uh he had just like showed them yeah the pixie stick yeah. so um god i wish i could think of the word you know when you have like a word yeah on the tip yeah of your yeah, tongue? yeah okay i i totally feel that's all that. to say that i'm not i don't know if timothy did anything wrong but i'm a little skeptical uh, of ronald we don't fucking trust ronald <laughs> right now <laughs> fucking ronald um so oh hold on i just clicked off of this a bro i think there's a hay laptop <laughs> yeah 
Okay, so like I said, four of the five pixie sticks that he had claimed to receive were recovered by our th- um, mm-hmm. the police from other children and none of who had consumed the candy. So the parents of the fifth child, I told you there was a little boy, boy walking home from church. Yeah. So the police call them and let them know, and they become hysterical because they cannot locate this candy. Like, they have no idea where the fuck it is. So they run upstairs, and they find their son asleep in bed, laying with the candy in his hand. And the only reason that he had not consumed it is because he couldn't get the stable off. Mm-mm. Yep. So um, obviously that fucking traumatized him. So all five of the pixie sticks had been opened and refilled the top two inches with cyanide. And then they were resealed with the staple, like I said. So according to... Just lost my spot again. Okay, so according to a pathologist who tests the pixie sticks, the candy consumed by Timothy contained enough cyanide to kill two adults and the other four pixie sticks contain dosages that could kill three to four adults. Mm. Yeah, so... You, so who, definitely one. Yeah, so this whoever did this was definitely fucking going for death. Like, there was yeah. no way that... It wasn't just a little sprinkle of cyanide. Yeah, nobody like fucking, shares a pixie stick. Right. Like, if you're taking enough of a dose to kill three adults, one kid's going way... Yeah, down. one kid is gone in less than an less hour than like an hour. Timothy was, right. So Ronald initially tells police that he couldn't remember which house that he gets the candy from. Mm. And police obviously become suspicious of his excuses because Ronald and his neighbor had only taken their children on two streets that night because it was raining on Halloween night. Mm. So they're kind of like, Ronald, I don't, you should remember. Like, mm, yeah. Yeah, who's the only house that serves pixie sticks? Right, right. So their suspicions increase after learning that none of the houses gave out pixie sticks that night. Mm. So they go by and interview everyone, and they're like, hey, what kind of candy Easy. did you give out? Tootsie Rolls. Yeah, nothing. Nobody gave out pixie sticks. And I feel like that's a weird candy to give out on Halloween anyway, you know? like. No, yeah, exactly. Well, because what the only thing that – Nobody buys pixie sticks in a bag. Pixie sticks just come in the variety pack. And right. Everybody digs around them. You know what you get? You get a bowl of pixie sticks when your parents didn't give any pixie sticks out. Right, right. That's <laughs> what you get when they kept all that. And yeah. They said, here the fuck you go. This is what you get. Yeah, for the next well, and year. nobody grabbed pixie sticks out of the bowl. They were like, um, yeah. I'm taking Starburst. Right, yeah. Uh, fuck a pixie stick. That shit's like this big. It sticks out of your Halloween bucket anyway. <laughs> fuck that. Yeah. And it said they were 21 inches. So they must have been like bigger mm. pixie sticks, you know? Which is just crazy. So what the police do is they take Ronald back to the neighborhood that they had been trick-or-treating in that night. And they try to get him to direct them to the house where he got the pixie sticks. But he was so stumped. He just couldn't fucking remember. You know, he was like, God dang it. There's just so many houses in here. I don't fucking know. So um, he says, and I quote, that he couldn't find the house. He'd never seen the face of the person responsible, and the owner of the home did not turn on the lights, but cracked the door open and handed him five pixie sticks. He claimed to have only seen the man's arm, which he described as hairy. Like, he fucking, like, I, this is the thing with, like, sloppy criminals is it's just, like, your lies aren't even good, bro. Like Because you don't, you don't think through, because they don't, like, especially amateur killers, mm-hmm. you don't think through it. You don't think through to think, okay, what did the person look like? And right. What, how, what did their voice sound like? Right. And, What's going to be my whole fucking story? Mm-hmm. I'm so sloppy that I'm just going to expect to get away with mm-hmm. this kind of thing. Yeah. Like, that's what they're trained to do. I had to talk to a cop once on the phone. I have, don't have actually a lot of experience with cops, fortunately for me. Thank goodness. 
business. But uh, I had to call somebody like for like a, an emergency and they just ask a ton of questions. So if you're not like if you're not telling the truth, they're going to find out. And yeah, they're going to crack you fast. Like and the thing with like police officers is like, here's the thing that people have to understand. If they pull you in for questioning, they're already suspicious of you. Even mm-hmm. if you didn't have anything to do with it, they think that somehow you were tied to it. So you already have to be on like your P's and Q's, you know? Yep, exactly. Stupid. So after walking the neighborhood with the police three times, Ronald leads them to a home, um, the home that the group had visited whose lights were out at the time. And Ronald claims that he had revisited the home before catching up with the group. So the owner of this house is a guy named Courtney Melvin. And Mr. Melvin actually wasn't home at the time that the police went to go interview him. So they go to his job. Mm. And he works at an airport. He's an air traffic controller. You know, my grandpa was an air traffic controller. So it's it's a pretty serious thing. It's yeah. not like you're just going to work at the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they actually go to his work and they arrest him in front of everybody at the airport. And so, you know, case closed. So that's it. Only problem. Melvin actually has an alibi that night. He didn't get home um, until work until 11 p.m. on Halloween night. And his daughter and his wife were actually there, but they weren't handing out candy after a certain time because they ran out of candy. And that's why all the lights were off. Hmm. So police rule Melvin out as a suspect when nearly 200 people can confirm that he was at work that night. Hmm. So Hinton, the prosecutor on the case, says, this only magnified my suspicions. I also heard that Ronald was angry at his relatives for not staying up on the night of Timothy's funeral, which was so weird. So what he means by this is Ronald had actually written a song about Jesus and Timothy joining Jesus in heaven. And um, he had a broadcast of that being put on television the night of Timothy's funeral. And he was so pissed at his family for not wanting to stay up and watch that after like the emotionally tolling day that they just fucking had burying this little, you guys got to listen to my song. Yeah. Come on, you fuckers. Like (laughs) it comes on at midnight. Like I know you've been crying all day, but just fucking stay up pussies. Like that's literally (laughs) how he was acting. Like what the fuck? Um, so around this time is when the investigators start to look into Ronald as an actual suspect. Investigators already know that Ronald owed debts of over $100,000. And within the last 10 years, he switched jobs over 21 times. At the time of his arrest, he was, sus- um, he was suspected of theft at his job at the Texas State Optical. And he was close to being fired. His car was about to be repossessed. And he had defaulted on several bank loans, and the family home had actually been foreclosed on right around this time. So police then discover, and this is just the thing where you hear, like, with most crime cases, and it, like, makes me laugh. It's not funny. It's not funny. (laughs) But it makes me (laughs) laugh because it's, like, the first thing police look into with any kind of murder is insurance policies Mm -hmm. who's the beneficiary Mm -hmm. when was this taken Mm -hmm. out and in what amount so that's what the fuck they do here and they find out that ronald had taken out insurance policies on his kids fucking hey bro i just lost my slide scroll all the way back up hold on a second i'm so sorry (laughs) that is like a class like i think carol baskins did that yeah like and that's a thing that like if you take out an insurance policy a month before somebody goes missing, like, come on, you're not fucking slick. Does not look good. You got to wait at least six months. Right. So (laughs) at least six months, maybe five. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So in January, 1974, Ronald takes out $10,000 worth of insurance policies on both of his children, which in 2019 is equivalent to $51,842. 
So, and then one month, one fucking month, Brandon. No way. Timothy's death, Ronald takes out an additional $20,000 policies on both children, despite the objections that the insurance company gave for him, uh, gave him for this. Um, so this, I looked it up. So he has about thirty thousand dollars mm-hmm. out insurance wise on each kid right now. So that totals three hundred and sixteen thousand seven hundred and seventy dollars and seventy nine cents today. Wow! So that was a lot of money That's back then. Money. I read that at first and I was like ten thousand dollars. And I wonder what shit. it would have paid out to him. Yeah. Like I don't know how exactly insurance policies work for kids because like with adults it's like there's like money that you make or whatever. Like it's just like a little bit different. But for like kids, I don't know how that works. Yeah, I'm not sure with kids either, like, how that would work. I would assume that, you know, you would just call, and maybe after a certain amount of time, they eventually pay the full amount out. Mm-hmm. So he's looking at about half of this because only one kid has died. Mm-hmm. So, like, a hundred – fuck, I'm not good at math. <laughs> yeah, a hundred and something thousand dollars per kid. Yeah, a lot. So um, at this time, Ronald's wife says she has no idea that he had taken out these insurance policies, and I believe her, like, mm-hmm. 100%. Police also learn that the morning after Timothy's death that he calls the insurance company and sees, um, like, when he can cash out, basically, on that. The morning after. Mm-hmm. His fucking son died. Suspicious, maybe, you know? Yeah. Mistake. <laughs> right, mistake. Always mistake. Arrogant, pompous mistake. Right, literally <laughs> messy as fuck. Um, so what the police do is they get a warrant and they search the O'Brien house. And what they actually find is a pair of scissors with Mm -hmm. plastic residue attached and little pixie stick, like particles on the scissors, basically similar to the, what was found on the cyanide lace sweets. (laughs) So at this time, um, Ronald is arrested. (laughs) At this time, Ronald is arrested and he's taken in for questioning. Which, of course, like, come on. Yeah, now, I mean, so, unless he is a natural at this, he's screwed. Yeah, this right. This is where he's screwed. Unless you can completely fucking get your way out of it. Unless Jesus from the special comes That's and right. helps you, fucking Ronald, you're fucked. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. So, as the investigation continues, Hinton says the evidence really starts to stack up against Ronald. It turns out that he was going to community college, and in class, he would ask his professor questions like, what's more lethal, cyanide or another type of poison? Why would someone ask that, says Hinton. (laughs) He literally was like, why would you ever fucking ask that? A good question. Right. Totally weird. I th- I think you could Google that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like Casey Anthony, I think, had like... The chloroform? Stu- yeah. Yeah, like how much chloroform would kill someone. Like, you <laughs> stupid shits. Like, <laughs> so another witness who at the time worked for the chemical company in Houston told a police officer um, that a man had come in to buy some cyanide shortly before Halloween in 1974, but he left after being told the smallest amount that he could purchase was five pounds. The man from the store said he couldn't identify Ronald, but he remembered that his customer was wearing like a beige or a blue smock, kind of like a doctor. And if you remember, I told you that Ronald was an optician. Mm -hmm. So Hinton says that's exactly the uniform that he wore to work. Mm -hmm. So what police do is they theorize that Ronald had laced the candies with poison in an effort to kill his children to collect on the life insurance policies. They believe that he gave the other children the candy in an effort to kind of, like, cover up his crime and make it look like a random person mm-hmm. did it. 
the other children, thankfully, like I mentioned, yeah. never consumed the candy. That was like the worst thing that could have happened. To yeah, him. like if they all consumed it, oh my god. Well, then he would have been liable for five. We'll see. I mean, yeah, yeah like five counts mm-hmm. of murder. Yeah, for sure. He would have gotten caught. This guy was getting caught. Yeah, you were going. You were stupid, Ronald. <laughs> You're stupid. <laughs> yeah. So still, right? Ronald sucks at this. You're a trash criminal, Ronald. So at this time, this was still years before DNA, and this was actually mm-hmm. at a time where they couldn't trace debit cards um, mm. transactions, so they had no idea what the fuck you were purchasing. Um, so they couldn't put the pixie sticks in Ronald's hand or prove that he had bought any kind of cyanide. So the 30-year-old optician maintains his innocence. And although the police never discover when or where Ronald had bought the poison, he was arrested for Timothy's murder on November 5th, 1974. He was indicted on one charge of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Wait, can you remind me what day this took place on? This uh, must not have taken place on Halloween day. The day he died was Halloween. Dang, Halloween. that's six days later? Halloween 1974, yeah. To November 6th. That's amazing. Yep. So he's arrested literally just a couple days later. Because, I mean, it was just obvious. You take him to the neighborhood. Yeah. He doesn't know where anything is. You live here. That's right. But still, a lot happened in those six days. Because yeah. they went around. They caught that first guy. Uh, they took him back. They, they Like, a lot happened in those six days. That was pretty... I thought it was going to be like months later. Yeah, and that's what I love. Like, because you're right. Sometimes you hear about investigations where it's like months or years mm-hmm. before they do anything, but they're like right. Like, prosecutor was right in on this. He yep. was like, "No, fuck you. Like, we're yeah. going to get you, you slick fuck." Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Ronald immediately enters a plea of not guilty to all five counts, with his defense blaming the tainted candy on some untraceable boogeyman. <laughs> Um, a sick individual using the cover of Halloween to poison unsuspecting <laughs> children. And I quote, <laughs> um, so his trial begins in Houston on May 5th, 1975. So mm. again, that's, I yeah, mean, that's right. That's a long time later. Yeah. Six months though. They're starting the trial, you mm. know, like even now this is still rather quickly really? compared. Yes. Compared to trials you hear about now, like the golden state killer. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've heard about him. I know the name. He was arrested trial still hasn't gone on you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. so it's like different things where you hear about people getting arrested and convicted and trial doesn't go for two to four years yep. so six months this is still rather pretty pretty decent timing so does that mean do you think that the prosecution just felt like they had so much that they could just go right to trial yeah i think that they felt like they had enough evidence stacked up where they knew yeah. they could stick him it yep. wasn't circumstantial in any kind of way yep so um during the trial a chemist who knew Ronald testified that in summer 1973, so the summer before Mm -hmm. this happens, that Ryan, or not Ryan, Ronald had contacted him asking about cyanide and how much would be fatal. A chemical supply salesman also testifies that Ronald had asked him how to purchase cyanide. Friends and coworkers testify that in the months before Timothy's death, that Ronald showed an unusual interest in cyanide and spoke about how much it would take to kill a person. Ronald's sister-in-law and brother-in-law tested that on the day of Timothy's funeral, he spoke of using the money from Timothy's insurance policy to take a long vacation and buy other items. So during this time, Ronald continues to maintain his innocence, which is just like crazy to me. And like all this fucking evidence, you look like a fucking sociopath. Um, And his defense mainly drew upon the decades-old urban legend concerning a mad poisoner with the Halloween candy, like I started the case with. Um, And 
the funny part about that is, like I said, they try to use that as like their defense, mm-hmm. but there hasn't been any actual cases where strangers have done this to kids. Yeah. Like there's been like not where kids have died. Like there has been instances mm-hmm. where shit has been found in candy, but before it was consumed. But this is like the first actual case where somebody died from Halloween candy. I wonder what that is, though. I want because like those other kids did. Ha- I mean, it's probably you know what Ronald's biggest mistake was. Fortunately for him, other than all the mistakes he made after the fact, What's is that it? he used a stupid candy like Pixie Sticks. Pixie he would have put it in a Twix bar or something. He a Twix bar, a fucking Tootsie Roll, like anything. Pixie Sticks, like mm-hmm. yeah. And this kid, that one kid even tried to eat it. One yeah. kid even took the plunge to try to eat it and couldn't even get it open. Couldn't get it open because he used fucking staples. So it already looks weird. Like, ugh. Ronald's a complete amateur. Ronald, but I, Ronald, you need to do better. <laughs> <laughs> but I am surprised. I am surprised that it hasn't happened because it does seem easy. Yeah, right. That so easy just to slip something in candy mm-hmm. for sure. I think it's the resealing though is the mm-hmm. problem. That's you know? the hard like, part. Yeah. So obviously the case in the trial gasped like or takes national attention and the press dubbed ronald as the candy man that mm-hmm. was kind of the name that he got in the fucking media <laughs> which is why we hear about it now they love to give him yeah, names the candy yeah they love naming people which is like so weird it's like come on like, <laughs> like the candy man than being like ronald like right like, don't give it but he but still like having a moniker i don't think ronald was in it for the um you know exposure and the i don't think so attention yeah. but I think Ronald just wanted that life insurance money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so on June 3rd, 1975, a jury took 46 minutes to find Ronald guilty. 46 minutes. That's short. Right. I know that's that short. That is short. <laughs> um, they find 46 minutes to find him guilty of capital murder and on four counts of attempted murder. Mm. Then after that, the jury took 71 minutes after the guilty sentence to sentence him to death by electric chair. What? Oh, this so, is 75. Whoa. Yeah, so 75. So within two hours, you're guilty and you're fucking going to die, basically. Really? Yeah, like, oh. I mean, he's not going to die that day, but they're telling him, oh. like, you're going to die by electric chair, basically, is what they're saying. saying. Two yeah. hours after the, like, sentencing. No, yeah, no, two hours after the sentencing, they decided electric <laughs> yeah. chair was the yeah, best it's way. Like, yeah. It's like, you're guilty, and you're going in the chair right, right now. Right. Bring the chair Come on, in. come on, right here. Go this way. <laughs> they roll it in. Everybody's clapping. Yes. They're like, let's go fucking Ronald. Bye-bye. Yeah. I wish. I know. I fucking wish. So shortly after Ronald is convicted, his wife obviously files for divorce (laughs) and she later actually remarries and her new husband adopts their little girl, Mm. Elizabeth. Yeah. Mm. Which is like so sweet. It's like your dad's a piece of shit, but here you go. Like mommy's got you. (laughs) So Ronald was confined to the Huntsville unit in Huntsville, Texas. And apparently in prison, he's actually shunned and despised by all the other inmates for hurting a child because they said that was absolutely friendless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the inmates reportedly petitioned to hold an organized demonstration on Ronald's execution date to express their hatred of him. <laughs> yeah, which I read that and I geeked. I was like, yeah. how <laughs> fucked do you have to be for the other inmates to have like a fucking rally on your execution date? That's what like, I'm saying. Like the inmates hate that kind of shit. Inmates hate child molesters yeah. historically. Anybody that hurts kids like usually in prison you have a tough time unless mm-hmm. you're connecting with like the other ones your fucking other pedophile friends yeah hopefully know. there's not many of them right yet. i know um so ryan's first execution date is set for august 4th or august 8th i'm sorry august 8th 1980 his attorney successfully Whoa. petitions for a stay of execution a second date is scheduled for may 25th 1982 so about two years later that date is also postponed <sighs> 
Yep. So this is the long pole of the tent. Yeah. So this is like, and this is a thing you hear about with like a lot of people that get sentenced to death mm-hmm. is that they just keep trying to postpone it, like anything that they can fucking do to try and get out of it kind of thing. So the second time it's postponed, Judge Michael McSpadden schedules a third execution date for October 31st, 1982, exactly eight years mm-hmm. of the anniversary of the crime. And he offers to personally drive Ryan to the death chamber, <laughs> which is like such a fucking boss move. Like, could you imagine the judge saying that to you? Like, I'll fucking drive you, buddy. Like, yeah. Hop in front seat. Like, yeah. You know what? Even if you can't do that, I'll bring the electric chair to your right. house. Right. <laughs> you know what? My trunk is big enough where we can bring this bitch into your cell. Like, <laughs> so it actually isn't until March 31st, 1984, when all of his attempts to try and escape the death penalty are exhausted. And he's finally put to death for his crime. And by this point, the U.S. Supreme Court had ruled the electric chair as a cruel and unusual punishment. Mm. So his life was ended with lethal injection. Mm. Um, Ronald's lawyer actually sought a fourth stay on the basis that the lethal injection was a cruel and unusual punishment. And on March 28th, a federal judge basically says, fuck you. you. He (laughs) rejects the whole request. And so three days later, March 31st, 1984, shortly after midnight, they give him the lethal injection. He almost made it a decade. He almost fucking made it, bro. He just kept getting stays of execution. That's crazy. Like, fucking, ugh. So uh, my final two little statements here are outside the Texas State Penitentiary in Huntsville, a crowd of around 300 people gathered to hear if the man um, – so I'm sorry, I read that wrong. So outside the Texas State Penitentiary in Huntsville, a crowd of around 300 people gather around outside to see if he's actually put to death or not. Um, and there's people that are protesting there with anti-death sentence mm-hmm. signs, and they fucking throw candy at them and yell <laughs> trick or treat while they're out there protesting, <laughs> waiting for this motherfucker to die. Like I just thought that was so iconic. That's like, amazing. They're like trick or treat, motherfucker. Like. And then my last note here is, and in his final statement, Ronald maintains his innocence. Eh. Ronald maintains his innocence, stating that he felt the death penalty was wrong. He added, I forgive all, and I do mean all, those who have been involved in my death. God bless you all, and may God's best blessings be always yours. And then he fucking croaked. What <laughs> a creep. Yeah, so that is the story of the candy man. And that is why a lot of the myths that we hear today mm-hmm. about Halloween candy being poisoned, why it's such a big fucking myth, because it actually happened. Like, that is so crazy. Dad straight up killed his kid. I know. And that's the thing, right? Is like, I think that there's, there's like so many levels. It's like killing a kid is so shitty, but killing your kid for insurance money right like, that's insane your kid was literally just a fucking write-off to you like you didn't give a shit like you helped him open the candy you helped mm-hmm. like oh the whole story just breaks my heart so it's i horrible. i really didn't know about that um until last night honestly so and you I, said there's a movie about it yeah so there's a movie that came out in 1992 and i'm not sure if like the movie is like the same basis as yeah. like the case where like a dad kills his son but there is a movie and uh, it's called Candyman came out in 1992 yeah i want to watch it now (laughs) i know that sounds good yeah so there is a lot of other like document i didn't write it down but there's like you know some specials like 48 hours Mm -hmm. dateline kind of thing on um ronald o'brien o'brien here did they say anything about like what he's like no i mean before like he was just looked at as like a family man you know Mm -hmm. he was like an optician like Mm -hmm. he had a good job good at church two kids he went he was the beacon of a church yeah 
And it's like, so nobody kind of suspected this. And then, like, you hear about in the trial where everyone was like, well, you know, now that I think about it, like, he was talking about cyanide a lot. Like, that's not something normal people do. And someone's like, like, you know what? He bought cyanide Yeah. Me. You know what? He put cyanide in my Christmas stocking last year. Like, yeah, but yeah. so fucking crazy. Like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing that forward. Now, now, right before Halloween, everybody can be scared about where they're getting their candy. Yeah, right. Everybody <laughs> check your candy and not the ones that your neighbor give you, what your family gives <laughs> yeah, exactly. you. Like, don't trust your family is Keep what I'm saying. Keep staples. <laughs> yeah. Don't call your dad because he is probably a fucking murderer. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I hate to, like, say this is fun but because it's been so dark, but it was fun. Right, I know. I mean. You can still have fun with the dark conversations. <laughs> it's just a little different. Yeah. I know, and I just feel I I feel for the victims, of course. Yeah, of course. And they're definitely awful situations, and it's like you can't help but feel for the victims. But it is fun to like kind of dive in and like create your own little article and, with the information you find. You know, exactly. I feel like a nerd. I know. Yeah, I know. I, I, know. I, I, well, I felt like that yesterday when I was looking up all this stuff, and I was just yeah. like taking taking literally notes on a piece of paper. Right, right. And you're just like, oh my god, am I in college again? Like, <laughs> exactly. I had on. I yeah, like, that's that exactly so what I look like too. So good. Well, we thank you for being here, Brandon. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun. Thanks for letting us. Um, introduce you to the crime case world <laughs> of course i'm here to stay <laughs> yeah definitely anytime you want to be on an episode i'm totally down that, that sounds fun. great i'm all yours well guys thank you for listening this has been episode nine of suspect we definitely appreciate you sticking with us for nine episodes i guess don't forget that we are doing an episode or not an episode a giveaway on episode 10 i saw that yeah it's gonna be really cute little t-shirt design so make sure you're following our instagram at suspect podcast to be eligible to enter for that other than that, shoot any emails over to suspectpodcast1 at gmail.com. Any crazy stories, any case requests. Um, and until then, we will see you guys next week. Don't kill anyone, please. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs>